America has 2.2 million people in prison. If just 1% is wrong, that's 22,000 people. That's a lot of people's lives destroyed. If the system want to take you out of society, they will do it. No matter what laws they have to break, saying that they are enforcing the laws, but they're breaking the law. Having to hear those people say that I was guilty of a crime that I did not commit, and then hear my family break down behind me and not be able to do anything about it, I can't describe the crushing weight that was. I'm not anti-police, I'm just anti-corruption. A lot of times we look and we see something happen to somebody, and that's the first thing we say. That could never happen to me, but it can. This is Wrongful Conviction. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Today, we're going to tell the story of Angel Cordero, which is an ongoing story, and it is in some ways sadly typical of the system, and I'll explain that. In other ways, it's terrifying. A Bronx man was released from prison after serving 13 years for a crime he says he didn't commit. Angel Cordero came home two years early for good behavior. Cordero was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 15 years for the stabbing of a Bronx resident in 1999. The victim was walking home when he was attacked by a group of strangers. Officers responding to the attack arrested five men at the scene, including Cordero and his brother. Mounting evidence in favor of Cordero's innocence and motions filed to appeal his case have not been successful. 
Cordero's brother was also convicted for the same crime, but was released earlier. Cordero insisted he will continue fighting for an exoneration. Angel, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Thank you, Jason. And with him is his beautiful wife, Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Angel, your case makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> right? I mean, yes. it just doesn't make any sense. But before we get into all of that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and yeah. we'll get into all that for okay. sure. But let's go That's back to before any of this insanity happened. And, of course, it's, it's a family tragedy because you and your brother were both convicted of this yes. crime along with other people. But how was life treating you before everything went upside down and sideways and turned into a nightmare? I had a regular teenage life, you know. I was into sports, working out. New York City? New York City, Bronx. What kind of sports? My favorite is basketball, but I also play baseball and football as well. Right. So you're having this, you know, happy childhood pretty much, right? How many brothers and sisters did you have? I have one brother and three sisters, but two of my sisters are from my father's side, so I wasn't in contact with them as much. But I lived with my brother and my sister and my mother. So you had a sort of a typical childhood. You were never in trouble, right? Never in trouble, no. No, no prior record before this happened? No prior record. Because, you know, that's the thing, Angel. I get asked a lot from people, well, this guy got uh, wrongfully convicted. He probably was doing something else, or there must have been some reason. And that. But we know that most of the people who were wrongfully convicted had no prior record, just like you didn't when this thing happened. Let's go back to the night going into the morning, well, May 15th and 16th, 1999. Yes. This was a stabbing, right? It's a very bloody crime. Yes. And the cops were there quickly after the fact, right? After the fact, yes. Yeah. So how did this incident unfold? All right, I'm going to start at around 8 o'clock that night. My brother and I was invited to a birthday party for one of our neighbor's sons. He was going to turn one. So we um, we went to the party, and we stood there to like, two in the morning, and then around two in the morning, we left the party, because it was already winding down by that time. And we went outside to the corner store, because my brother wanted to get a pack of cigarettes. And then while he's in the corner store, I'm in the corner talking to some, you know, some people, some ladies that were there. So he gets a pack of cigarettes, he comes back towards me, and then all of a sudden we just see a fight break out across the street from where we were at. And my brother's like, oh, let's go check it out, let's go see what's going what happened. And I just started following. As he crosses the street, I see the cops turning the corner, just jumping out of the car. It was an Amon car. I, I knew what a cop car looked like. I'm from, from the Bronx. I'm from a neighborhood where if you're not paying attention to your surroundings, then you're kind of being dumb. So as soon as they pulled out, I noticed all four officers jumping out. And then one of the officers went towards my brother directly for no apparent reason and grabbed him. And that's when I got involved. Went through the crowd, and I was just trying to question the officer. What was the reason he was grabbing on my brother? He turned around and just puts the gun to my face. Instinctively, I just put my hands on it. Yo, and then he was like, get against the wall. Did you even know at this point that someone had been stabbed? I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I knew there was a fight going on. Other than that, I didn't know what happened. Because you heard like yelling, screaming? or I From mean, across the street, you could see two kids fighting. Right. You know, you could see a commotion happening. But uh, now there was a crowd, so you're just sort of in the crowd? My view was catching my brother being grabbed out. This officer wears gun out. This is your little brother, right? My little brother. Right. So you're doing what a big brother does. You're sort of trying to come to his, you know. To his, hey, I'm focusing on him now. I don't know anything else but what's going on in front of me. 
And then the next thing you know, the cops got his gun in your face. Next thing you know, the gun's in my face, yeah. And what happens next? So I put my hands up, and the next thing he's yelling at me to get against the wall. And I'm like, for what? I'm questioning him, why? He's like, just get against the wall. And I'm refusing, I'm not, I'm not getting against the wall for nothing. So he just smacks me with the gun, and next thing you know, I feel a bunch of hits happening. And um, I, I go down, they put the handcuffs on me, and um, one of the officers said, hey, hey, look up. I look up, and I'm maced. And um, so the rest of the night, I don't, all I could do is hear people around me talking and screaming, and but I can't see anything. Wow, this is this is heavy. I mean, you're one minute you're just buying cigarettes, and the next minute you're in this insane situation of being beaten up by the cops, <laughs> pistol whipped, and now you're blind. I mean, the gun was so, to my face at the yeah. time. The officers were cowboys. We're talking about in the '90s where the officers was killing just about any innocent person that was in the Bronx. You knew that the cops were out of control at that time in of that course. neighborhood. But yet you had said, I'm not getting up against the wall. You must have known what you were heading into by sort of disobeying an order, right? No. So you still believed in the system somewhat if you said, well, if I know I'm innocent. If I just stand up for my rights, I'm going to be yeah, all right. Yeah, I had rights. I, I, I did nothing wrong. So but... now you're laying on the ground. You're bleeding. You've been beaten up. You're blind. You're handcuffed. So I go to the hospital. In the hospital, one of the cops started messing with me. He started roughhousing me. Even the nurse, one of the nurses had to get involved. And she was like, leave him alone, leave him alone. She came and um, took care of me. She stitched me up and everything. Because they, they cracked Angel's head open. They he had nine staples in the back of his head. Yeah, this was not like, this is not them slapping you around. I mean, they almost, they... No, they beat me up. I mean, nine staples in your head. That's, uh, I mean, even just hearing about it now, and even though it's, um, Jesus, almost 20 years ago, it's 18. still, it's just sickening. I mean, like, it, the whole thing is really, uh, like I said, it's terrifying. And it's sickening. There's just so many things wrong with this story already. And then it gets worse, right? Then it gets worse. I mean, you're probably thinking at this point, what the hell else can go wrong? But did you still feel like, okay, well, I'm going to get out of this. I mean, I'm going to go home. At all times. Now you're laying in the hospital. Did you know what had happened? Still didn't know. So you had no idea what the hell was going on? No, nothing other than the cops beat me up. And then... I think I mentioned to one of them, I'm going to sue your asses after all this is said and done. And then I guess I sparked something in them or something. I don't know. I don't know the motive to what. What was their motive for putting me in prison? I forgot to mention that when I was getting beat up, Dario already had been apprehended before that. He had got hit with the butt of a gun in the back of his head. Your brother? No, Dario Rodriguez, the perpetrator. Oh, right, okay. He was apprehended. As the, the competition was all for Dario and on me, that's when Dario got the opportunity to get up and run. So they had him. He was on the floor, apprehended. They what? had him. Uh, Physically had him that same moment that the crime happened. They let the bad guy get away and they couldn't there. admit it? Well, that's the weird thing in this story, too, right? And I was doing my homework to get ready for the episode. I'm sitting here going, were they friends with this guy? Like, why would they have done this guy the favor of life? That's right. right? This one came with instructions. <laughs> right? It like, surely Police did. Academy 101. Like, this is it. You yeah. got your guy right there. Right. I mean, so the cops roll up on this scene minutes after it happened, right? Yeah. Almost record yeah. speed. And they got the perpetrator there covered in blood. Yes. Right? 
And this is like a dream, right? This is like you you could get this case done quick and get home in time for dinner, <laughs> type of thing, right? Absolutely. So absolutely. So that's the crazy thing. And this guy, Dario Rodriguez, so Dario Rodriguez, he's no dummy. He takes the opportunity once all this commotion happens and you're getting beat up and your brother's getting beat up. He's like, "Well, I'm getting the fuck out of here." Absolutely. That's what and I mean. he said he, he crawled and then he got up and then he ran and then he got rid of his bloody clothes, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he was like, "Man, I mean." And considering I mean, how many times he'd been in and out of jail, he knew jackpot. he knew what could possibly happen if he didn't run away. So, okay, now let's go back to that for a second. I'm glad you brought that up, Michelle. So this guy, Dario, is a known bad guy. Convicted felon. It's fair to say the cops knew about him yeah. from the neighborhood because he was a guy Absolutely. who was in and out of jail all the time. At the time, I think he was like 28, and he's been getting arrested since the age of 14. So it's a numerous record. Wow. Hard to hard to process this one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so now you're in the hospital. Yes. How long were you in the hospital for? Four or five hours. And then they take you to jail? We left around 8 o'clock in that morning to the central booking. Now, when I get into the cop car from the hospital, this is with Sergeant Delaney. What happened last night? He's asking me what happened last night. And you still don't know? And I still don't know. He's asking me what happened last night. So I'm, I'm on the back seat. It's me. It's Delaney. I think it's Curry. Anyhow, so then he turns around and asks me, asks me oh, what happened last night? And I'm like, y'all, y'all fucked me up. That's the only thing that happened last night. I'm a fucking sue you. I got a little voiceless. And um, he was like, man, you seem like such a nice guy. I can't believe what you did. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I already knew where it was going. Like, I'm from a neighborhood where, like I already told you, you your senses and your awareness is a little more keen to things, especially with bullshit. So he was like, why, why you stabbed that kid last night? And I'm like, man, I'm not even talking to you guys no more. Don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me. You know I ain't do shit. Y'all bugging right now. We went to 41st Precinct. That's when I saw the other guys that was arrested with me that night. Including your brother? Including my brother. And that's how I found out about Dario being there that night, caught up through Pierre and Julio, they told me, what the fuck you doing here? They didn't even know I got arrested. Then when they saw me coming in, they asked me, what the fuck you doing here? I said, what the fuck you mean I'm doing here? For the shit that just happened. He was like, but why? I said, I don't, the cops just fucked me up and they, they arrested me and they put me in here with you guys. At their original arrest questioning, where the DA comes in the very first time, all three of them, Julio, Pierre, and Gregory, all say, we know the guy who did it. That same who, night. That was that night. It was maybe an hour after the incident. The same we'll take night. you to where he is. We know where he is. He's you know covered he in lives. blood. We know where he lives. His name is Dario. His name is Dario. He goes name by so said it. We will take you to him. This is all in transcripts. The first and night. They just ignored it. Right. Let's just reflect on that for a second, too, because. And were these guys crackheads? Were these guys no, like... Young no. kids. Young kids. There was no reason for the cops to think that they would be making up a story, right? And no. especially there's three of them. Right? Three of them. So there's three of them all going... I know where he's at. I'm not going down for this. I know where he's at. And they never followed up on that. And they never followed up on that. They just ignored it. That's so weird. Well, when you put it together with they had him apprehended... So then there goes these three kids telling you, I know where he's at. Let's go get him. What's going on? What happened here? What's the motive? 
What's the motive? That's what the question I always ask myself. What's the motive to put me in jail? I mean, the only thing which still doesn't make any sense that I could possibly think of is did they maybe feel a little embarrassed that they had already had the guy and they let him go? But why? Nobody's going to know that. That doesn't make any difference. They're going to. Why feel- does it matter? When at the end of the day, you did the right thing and, and you well, fixed yeah, the situation. Okay. But I'm, I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about doing the right thing. There's not a lot of right things being done here so far, uh, right? Absolutely. I mean, and I'm thinking about you in this situation too. Had you called anybody by this point? Your parents? Anybody else? My sister knew she was at the scene. She came to the scene. Someone so she, called her someone and told called her. her and told Angel her. just got arrested. So, so she figured out that you were at the precinct and she came She down. came to the crime scene. Like, we was laid out on the floor for a while. Like, we they didn't just arrest us, pick us up, and let, you know, let leave right away. Just gonna, for vigil. Hunts Point is small. And Hunts Point is small. The whole community really knows each other. Yeah, you could walk so, that neighborhood in a few minutes. It's a so small So one person, if somebody knows you in the neighborhood, most likely 50 people is going to know you in the neighborhood. But it's a small community. So your sister knew. Tony is Angel's brother. She told Tony, you know why you're here? And he's like, no. And she said, it's murder. There was a stabbing. And he went, no. Like, he didn't even know why he was there until Keisha, my sister-in-law, told. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Now you're in the precinct. You get fingerprinted, booked, etc. And then what happens? Well, before I went to the precinct, they had all of us talk to the DA. They fingerprinted me and all that, and then we all talked to the DA. The guys talked to the DA, and I refused to talk to the DA. I said, I don't, it's, no need, it's no need for me to talk to the DA. I don't know. Nothing to talk about. Well, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Because you had no lawyer. They read you your Miranda rights? They did. And did you waive your Miranda rights? I didn't. I didn't sign anything. That I recall, I don't remember, actually, so. 
Right, you have the right to remain silent, and that's yeah. exactly what you should do. And that's important, <laughs> and I'm going to interrupt you for a second, because I like to tell people on the show that you should know, if you're listening right now, if you or someone you love gets picked up for something you didn't do, and the cops want to talk to you about it, all you say is, I want a lawyer. That's all you tell them. Tell them your name, your address, and I want a lawyer. And stop that's talking. Big. If you get picked up, you have the right to remain silent. There's a reason for that. The reason is that if you say something, it can be held against you, and don't say anything. Or it could be schoolnized, and they're going yeah, to they twist, twist it around. They, once they get yeah. you talking, you, you're at their mercy. So just don't talk. But you didn't, right? So that I was didn't. smart. And yet things just continued to go so, downhill. Yes. Yeah. So so what happened? Well, did they set bail? No. You no were held bail. without bail? That I recall. Yeah, I was held without bail. Where were you held in jail and how long were you held for prior to your trial? Because I'm assuming you didn't make prior bail. Prior to my trial, uh, I was on Rikers Island. I was also on the boat in the Bronx, in Hunts Point, which is part of Rikers Island. Also on... Bronx House? Bronx House. Yeah. That I was also in. And it was 13 months before his trial. 13 months in some of the worst places in the world. But by, they had set bail before, before trial and all that. But I think the bail was something like what? Some astronomical number? Yeah. Something I couldn't afford. So you were there. So I was there. If you can't post it, you can't post it. And I always think bail is such a strange thing, too, because if you're rich and violent, you can go home. You know? <laughs> True story. Absolutely. Right. No, I mean, that's what we say, and, and, you know, because I've been working on bail reform for many years. And, it, you know, there's a saying in the bail reform movement that a system in which Robert Durst goes home and Sandra Bland goes to prison is a broken system, right? Yeah. I mean, Robert Durst, I don't know if you saw the jinx, he was arrested for murdering and dismembering his next-door neighbor. Like, yeah. he cut his head off, he put his body in little bags and the whole thing. Like, And they're like, bail's 250 He was like, you want cash or a check? <laughs> And he went right home. I mean, so crazy. it doesn't make any sense. Like, as a society, I think we should say, okay, if we think that this guy's really dangerous, then we got to hold you. And money shouldn't make the difference. And if you're not dangerous, you should be sent home until your trial. Go home to your, you had a kid at the time. But, okay, so you're held for 13 months in this combination of horrible places, right? Horrible places, yes. I mean, and Rikers, the boat, I mean, you know, we have a jail in New York City that's, literally on a boat. We haven't talked about that on the show because you're the first person I've interviewed who's actually been on the boat. But is that as bad as Rikers? How bad is it? How bad is it? Is it as bad? Yeah. It's just as bad. I mean, whatever stories you heard you hear about Rikers is the same stories you're gonna hear about the boat. You know, it's dirty, the food's not that great, living conditions are horrible. You I mean you have like forty different personalities in one area sleeping with each other, spending each other's feet, spending each other's farts. And that's the thing about jails. You have a volatile mixture of people who are violent, people who are nonviolent, people who are guilty, people who are innocent, but everybody has one thing in common. They want to go home, and they're frustrated, and it gets violent, and it's chaotic. You know, there's nothing good about any of it. And then there you are for 13 months. Now, when did you first get a lawyer, and how much time did you get to spend with your lawyer prior to trial? Was it a public defender? Public defender. So my first lawyer was uh, a lady. She actually sat down, sat down with me, looked me in my face, and she just tells me she believes that I'm guilty. What'd you say? I forget the, the, my exact words, but I know my exact thought was like, okay, so you don't need to be here. So then I think I got um, DeMarco. And did you get to spend any meaningful amount of time with any of your attorneys before the trial? Uh, me and DeMarco spoke a couple of times. We spoke a couple of times. We had, yeah. No, but I just want you to know how that sounds to me, right? So here you are, you're facing a sentence of 15 years to life, 
I think people would like to think that you spent some time with your lawyer going through documents, evidence, this, that. The, that's not the way it was. You spoke to him a couple of times. I spoke to him a couple of times. No, like, hi, how you doing? We didn't go through no paperwork. It was just a couple of questions and a couple of answers. Right, and that's, you know, I mean, look, public defenders, there's a lot of very good ones. I have a lot of respect for people who go into that line of work because mm-hmm. it's a thankless job. They're mm-hmm. dealing with hundreds of cases. They're underpaid, overworked. They're underpaid. And even the best ones are really, really have a, an uphill battle in every situation. You eventually end up at trial. Eventually. With a lawyer who's seen you a couple of times. It's fair to say he's probably unprepared. He put up a good show, though. He did? I mean, a show doesn't mean he put up a good fight. It's two different things. That's an interesting way of putting it. So you're at trial. You have the three cops who testify against you and the one witness, right, which was actually the guy who was stabbed. Correct. And it's important to talk about this to Angel because the guy who was stabbed, this is 13 months later, right? And he's trying to remember a very traumatic incident that happened in the dark, in the middle of the night. And we know the way memory works. You know, the leading cause of wrongful convictions, of course, is mistaken eyewitness identification. And that could be, it could be the eyewitness or it could be the victim themselves. But we know that memory not only doesn't function like a camera in the first place, Right. If somebody runs in here now and assaults one of us and then they put us in a lineup in 10 minutes, we're still going to probably get it wrong. That's been proven in experiments after experiments. But 13 months later, the memory is really not great. And it then, fades and yeah. it changes and yeah. you get influenced by things that people say and go. things that you see. Yes. So somehow or other, this guy who had been stabbed, and also we know that when a weapon is involved, the incidence of wrongful identification go up dramatically because your senses are, you're, you're freaking out, right? You're, you're in, Trauma. It, yeah, you're in, you're in extreme danger. You're everything, all the synapses are firing, every nerve ending is going nuts and mm. it, it messes with your mind. So it messes with your memory. So we know, like I said, that instances of wrongful identification go up dramatically when there's a weapon involved. But even if it's a purse snatching with no weapon, whatever, we know that still eyewitnesses get it wrong more often than they get it right. So mm-hmm. there you are. You must be like, what What the hell's going on? Why is this guy Why is this guy saying I did it? Shouldn't he know who stabbed him? Of course. At the trial, which is the first time Jason ever saw Angel. Jason's the victim. First time he ever saw Angel. Yeah, you didn't know him. I've never seen him either. Like, I'm from the neighborhood. I've been in the neighborhood most of my life. And um, I've never saw the kid at all. And to go backtrack a little bit, the cops, like you were saying, told them about, oh, we got the guys. Right, you were talking about, like, influencing someone's mind. Mm. The night that Jason, I mean, his lung was collapsed. He was stabbed. He was seriously injured. Right, this was not a little slice. This right, was like, yeah, it was it was bad. He like, didn't, he, he, he did he almost did, lose his he life. He didn't even know it was the cops that was coming to uh, rescue. He didn't know who it was. It was just, to him, it was somebody came and a fight started and it, he got the opportunity to get away and he got away. Yeah, and he crawled home. The victim. The, the victim, victim. But his house was like three houses from where the incident happened. He was like almost home when the incident happened. When he was in the hospital, the police officers were saying to him, we got him. We got him. No lineup. No finger pointing. No prior uh, arrest Photo. book with photos because Angel had, had no history. Right, no, right? Mugshot. no mugshot. Right. None of this. Fast forward 13 months later, they asked Jason, you know, where's the guy who did it? And it's not like he had to look around really far. I mean, he's going to point to the guy sitting in the defendant's chair, right? There he is. Wait a minute. He looks taller and heavier. That's what he said. That's, That's what, what he, he said. said. 
But it is important to note that you bear a physical resemblance to the actual perpetrator, yeah. right? I, I Which is really of, another. Here you were, I'm wrong doing. place, wrong time, and you happen to you know have some physical characteristics yeah. that you share. Another piece of bad, bad luck. Yes. But okay, yeah. but still, he's saying he's questioning himself. He's going, yeah, he, and he, this is in trial transcripts. You know, he look he looks taller. Well, yeah, Dario's shorter. significantly shorter than Angel, and he looks a lot heavier. In the meantime, Angel had lost more than thirty pounds on Rikers Island. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, you know, yeah. as you said, you know, it makes sense. He's in the courtroom. He's thinking, well, all these people are here because this guy stabbed me. Uh, it's probably the guy. He looks close <laughs> enough. The cops right? say yeah. it's the guy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's the guy. he's a little taller, a little heavier, but yeah, the cops said it was him. Right. So it had to be him. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The jury goes out. How long did they deliberate for? Do you remember? A day. A day, a full day. A full day, 24 hours. That's got to be a long fucking day waiting for that. Me? Yeah. I kind of knew that I was going to get convicted because I knew that my lawyer wasn't working thoroughly on my behalf. He didn't give me the best chance to win. He didn't really get out the full details that needed to be out there. And even though he didn't do that, with the information that they had, was I think was enough for, for me to win the case. During the trial, Dario's girlfriend comes into the courtroom. This is like a movie. She comes into the courtroom and she's like, I want to speak. I want to deliber- speak. During the deliberation time. Oh, during the deliberation. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to speak. I want to testify. He wasn't with me that night. She was his alibi. 
Yeah, he said that night that he was with her when she really wasn't. So she came clean, but too late to help you. They the, were judge already, because, because the, the judge wouldn't hear. The judge wouldn't hear her what she had to say. The, the, the case, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a heavy one. I mean, I wonder how that even works. Like, if you're the judge, I don't know what the legal principle is or whether he would be allowed to reopen the case. He, but would, he would, would have been. He would have been. It's his judgment call. That's why he's huh. the judge. Yeah. Well, I think then, it would be his duty. To yeah. And, like and we know that we found out later that a nun testified and said that she was in the homeless shelter that the nun worked yes. at right. on the night that he claimed that he was with her. Yes. With an 8 o'clock curfew with lock-in. Right. So she was so not. So there's no him. question that his alibi was okay. totally false. Right. right? Yeah. So, and again, if your attorney had had more time, had been more, more diligent, time. had been more interested, he, he probably could have found out some of these things. He was more diligent. That's all he needed to be. Yeah. He needed to be interested in me. He wasn't interested in me. He didn't give he a didn't fuck. He didn't care about you. No, he was processing. He, he was processing. Really representing. But it is interesting that the jury deliberated for a full day. A full day. Even though you had three police officers and a victim testifying, saying this is the guy that did it, you could see how it would be more likely that they would deliberate for an hour if they were sure, and they would have said, we don't even want lunch. Yeah. We're good, right? <laughs> yeah, for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going yeah, home. Absolutely. I got my kids at home. I got this. I got that, right? And that's why it's important for people listening, many of whom will end up on juries in criminal trials. You know, mm. that when you have somebody's life in your hands, you got to take this seriously. It sounds like the jury actually did do their job. And even though they got the wrong answer, yeah. at least it sounds like they took it seriously. So they come back in, and that moment, even though you thought you were going to be found guilty, the system had let you down in so many different ways at this point. What was that moment like when they come back in, they shuffle in? What were you going through at that moment? I was hopeful, but waiting for the other shoe to drop. It still hurts. It still hurts now, but it definitely hurt it. Tremendously back then. I saw my, I just looked at my brother's face. He was crying. My mother was crying, my sister. And then um, I just screamed at the judge, like, but we have another witness. We have the perpetrator's wife here ready to testify. It was that chance. He paid me no mind. They threw us out the court. And I just told my mother, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And I don't know how I did the time. I really don't. I don't know how I kept strong. Well, man, there's, I guess there's um reasons. You always believed till the day he walked out that door. He always believed he was going to get exonerated. I did. Every denial, every shitty answer in the mail. And let's talk about that because your brother was convicted also, but his conviction was overturned on a technicality and he was freed after six years. The technicality was that I got boisterous and that threw us out and he didn't get to hear his verdict because it threw both. They were supposed to throw me out because I'm, I'm screaming, but the, the girl is here. She's ready to testify. That's all I'm saying. So you were on trial with I'm, your brother? Yes. And he got thrown out of the courtroom? Both of us got thrown out. He was not supposed to. That was the technicality that he got the reversal on. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's the only good break in this whole story. That's the only good break in the Seven years later. He did seven story. years before he, seven he got years. the reversal. Right. And that's seven years of hard time. But but then even for you, it still was worse because you had so many appeals. Mm-hmm. And you had new evidence that kept coming up. Yeah. Numerous uh, different witnesses. And let's not forget the fact that there was never any physical evidence that connected not, They tried. They tried with the DNA, with the blood. 
They said during trial that the blood that was on Angel's clothes belonged to the victim. The uh, clothes the jury, were tested, the but the results didn't, and air quotes, didn't come in in time for the conclusion of the trial. So yeah. it wasn't brought up at the trial the any trial. further than that. Okay, so they so they they had 13 months to test the blood on your clothes, but that wasn't enough time apparently. That wasn't enough time apparently, right. yeah. There's Talk. even a letter from the DNA testing lab that says we have the results. Uh, they had the results. You have to submit something to they receive They had the results. They just never turned it over to us. On purpose. Oh, on purpose. That's, that's nice. Because yes. all of the blood They had that the was- results, knowing whose blood it was, but on top of that, they still kept telling the jury lies. But you wow. already knew ahead of time, before you even told the jury these lies, that the blood, it was my own. It was not the blood of the victims, as you were portraying it to be. Wow. So they, yeah, it gets deeper now. It's not just police misconduct. It's also prosecutorial misconduct. Prosecutorial misconduct. Of a very serious nature. And I'm glad this is coming out now, and it will hopefully come out in the future in an official manner. So they withheld that evidence. They buried it. They lied about it. They actually twisted it. Twisted it. It's worse than hiding it. It's actually, they, they knew that what they were saying at the time was, Bullshit. Actually, totally false. It yeah. was the opposite of what they were saying, and that's pretty compelling evidence for a jury to hear. You got the victim's blood on your clothes. I mean, if I'm on the jury, I'm going, "Why well, would that happen?" Yeah. yeah, unless you were yeah. trying to help the guy, which we knew you weren't because you didn't even see him. Mm-hmm. So, so you end up with these appeals, and let's talk about that too, because obviously you're not a dumb guy, and you're a resourceful guy. And you were able to fight from inside prison to get a new trial and to get new evidence admitted. And you kept getting new evidence, compelling evidence, including a confession <laughs> by the actual... The most compelling of all. By the actual guy who did the crime. The, sta- the stabber actually confessed. confessed. I mean, Everybody's at that point, dream, that would right? seem like the golden ticket. The golden ticket. Right? Like, okay, I'm going home now. <laughs> I actually gave everything away. I'm going home. This is my thought process now. There was no ifs, buts about anything else. I said, I'm going home, finally. Damn, thank you. All my stuff, all my books, all my bed sheets, all my clothes, all my sneakers, I gave them away. I said, I'm not coming back to this place. Because you went back to court with the evidence that Rodriguez had discovered evidence from Dario, yes. He testified at that hearing to Dario and admitted guilt. Admitted how, how he did it, why he did it. Yeah. Everything that happened that night. Admitted everything. So, of a judge. so again, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty experienced at this. I've been doing this for almost 25 years. But for people who might be new to the show that are sitting at home, they're going, but wait a minute. Uh, that's where the story ends, right? But what happened is that the, the powers that be, the judge, decided that he was not a credible witness. <laughs> yeah, the, the, their favorite word, credibility. He's not a credible witness. But he was credible during the time that he, he still understand against me on my trial, during my trial. Right. But he's not credible now. That's got to be almost as bad as the original conviction when you're there. That was worse. Really? Kind of. Yeah, it might be head to head. Because by now you've been in for six or seven years already. Seven. Right? Seven eight. years. Yeah. And you're going home, you gave your stuff away. I gave everything away. And this wasn't the only new evidence that came out, right? No, it was plenty of evidence beforehand, before he even, he even came out. But let's talk about that, too. What was the other evidence that came out that allowed you to get your appeals heard? Eyewitnesses. A lot of them. 28 of them. 28? 28. (laughs) There were people who said they saw Dario steal a knife from the party. There was just... And there was a dozen people who testified that you weren't there, right? Yes. Right. So 28 witnesses. That might be a record. 
I think. I don't know. We got to look it up. I've never heard of it. <laughs> we got to look it up. It is a lot of witnesses. For those people, again, listening at home, this is your tax dollars at work, right? This is the this system. Is the... So 28 eyewitnesses, a confession from the killer. A confession from the perpetrator, yes. A confession from the perp. From the perp. Yeah. 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 Nobody, got, nobody died. Thank God. If not, I still would have been in jail. Can you imagine that? And they're like, nope, wow. we're not interested. None of this stuff is moving us. So you ended up going from state court to federal court, right? Yes. And how'd that work? Same thing, I deny. How did you get into federal court as opposed to state court for people who are not familiar with the system? Once you exhaust all your state appeals, then you could present everything you presented to the state, to the feds. To the higher court. To the higher court. I mean, you really had overwhelming evidence at this point of innocence. I don't know what else you can do. From day one. I had overwhelming evidence from day one. As soon as three kids tell you, I know where he's at, that should have been the end of the story. I shouldn't have gone no further than that. Right, and they had him at the crime scene. We're going back to that again. So much doom and gloom in this story, but let's talk about a happy thing. How did you guys meet? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I lived in Florida. I'm from New York, but I lived in Florida. I went to graduate school in Florida. I became friends with Angel's first cousin. MySpace was the big thing at the time. And you could change who your top friend was on MySpace. And so her top friend was him. But I'd never seen this guy before. I kind of knew the guy she hung out with. Like, who is this guy? She's like, my cousin. I'm like, he's cute. She's like, he's in prison. I'm like, no way. And she told me his story. And then... It unfolds from there. Did she tell you he was innocent? That was the first thing. Out of her mouth that his brother was either just came home or about to come home. I don't remember. And we talked a little about the case. She's like, you guys would totally hit it off. I was like, you're totally insane. (laughs) Um, You're like, that's my dream, a guy in prison. (laughs) So a guy in prison. Everybody's dream, right? (laughs) You know, at this point, I don't know if he's innocent or guilty. I, I mean... So what compelled you to want to find out more? I mean, you thought he was cute. I actually, I Googled it. And I'm a social worker, so I like to research and investigate. It's just in my blood. And um, I came across this article that was in the Daily News. And it talked about how he was innocent and how uh, Dario had confessed. And I was like, this is crazy. I want to know more. Okay, so you want to know more. And then how did you end up first meeting? Well, I did write in the first letter, like, you know, I could be a friend. Your case is interesting. You know, we wrote for a while. Then it went to phone calls for a while. And then I went to visit him. I don't know how the visit first visit happened. I don't know if you asked me to come up. The or... first visit. I mean, I remember the first visit, obviously. But I don't know how it all went down that, I, you know, we decided I was going to go visit him. And yeah, um, I never yeah. stopped visiting. Here we are. We're, we're together 10 years. Two kids. Two kids. Two beautiful kids. Yeah. Wow. He's home six years, just a couple weeks ago, made six years that he's home. I just got a parole a year ago. A supervision. Parole, same shit. And um, yeah, we have two beautiful kids. Yeah. Amazing. What are the names? Luke and Danny. Four years old. Jujutsu practitioner. (laughs) Beast. (laughs) And uh, my my little star, little Danny. Daniela. And you have your daughter from from before you went away. And I also, yeah, I I have an oldest daughter. How old is she now? She is 23. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. That's actually a beautiful uh, love story, you know? You mentioned something which is obviously going to get people's attention because I'm sure people are thinking, well, wait a minute, Uh, he's here, he must have been exonerated. But in fact, you still have to fight 
this case. I am, I am still fighting the case, yes. And let's talk about that, too, because ultimately you were released on parole, as you said, after 12 years. Supervision, same. A split bid, like a two to four, they consider that going home to parole. When there's a flat bid, they consider it a supervision. Basically, it's the same thing, but so, yeah. When Angel was originally sentenced, he didn't plea bargain, he blew trial. So when he got sentenced, he got sentenced to 15 years flat bid, which meant in 13 or close to 13 years, he could get out on good behavior. And that was it. There was no supervision involved. Yes, there, there was no supervision involved. The law shifted at some point. Somebody, and allowed about that. the Department of Corrections to impose supervision on people. So they were like slapping people with all this supervision. I guess they were working in connection with Department but the, of Parole. But Pro- the people parole. that was getting it wrongfully put on them, they was getting a play. They was either getting the time cut and they go home there on supervision or they could finish out their time and the supervision was taken out. But you had to do both. Eventually, right. so so yeah. so they placed five years post release supervision on on Angel. They were putting this on everyone. Now this is after your trial's over, you're serving your time, you're in the middle of your time, and you get this notice that now you have post release supervision, which is what they term it versus parole. A lot of guys were getting it reversed because they had plea bargains, and plea bargain is like a legal binding agreement, and this was a violation of this agreement. But Angel didn't. He went to trial. trial, so. We go to court, his uh, first appellate attorney, Claudia Trapp, we go to co- court with Claudia that this is a unjust addition to his sentence. He had already been sentenced by the judge, by the judicial system. The Department of Corrections and the, has no right to impose a sentence, and the judge denied him. So now on top of to this another, wrongful conviction, I got another five years. he gets another five years on supervision when he comes home. And this happened, we were already together. I was already so. ready to go home. I was right. 10 years into the bit. After being 10 years in, then they added this extra five years on top of everything. And the good news is that's over now, and you have a chance to fight and actually get this conviction overturned, at which point you could sue and hopefully get damages and, and things that you deserve. All that have to start is with a sorry. I'll take a sorry right now, an apology. And that's a powerful thing that you just said. I mean, I'll take a sorry. I mean, yeah, I'll give you one. (laughs) Michelle, I want to turn to you for a second. So what was it like for you having this unusual relationship, let's call it, right? I mean, obviously you're in love. And we know that crosses all boundaries and goes over walls and everything else. But... (laughs) But what was that like, being in a relationship? Did you get people judging you? And Sure. Of course I did. There were people who didn't know. My job didn't know. I mean, I told one person who I work with, who's a friend, but I went to work every day, and it was my secret. Must have been people saying, hey, Michelle, I got a nice guy for you to meet, whatever. you know. My- yeah, at times. I mean, all of my friends knew. People in my life who judged it as soon as they met Angel, all the judgment went away. I think they judge circumstance. I like to say I surround myself with open-minded people, but yeah, there was definitely even judgment from them. It's 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 weird. What about your parents? My father passed away when I was 19. It was hard breaking it to my mom. I was difficult. I'm sure that she was disappointed. But then when she met Angel, because she went up to visit him, I remember when we left, I'm like, well, what'd you think? She's like, he's really even keeled. The way I told my mom was I handed her a book that was written 
by Angel's first appellate attorney, Claudia Trott, where Angel's like featured in one of the chapters titled Guilty as Sin, talking about Dario, clearly not Angel. And I handed her a copy of the book and I said, read this and I'm not talking to you until after you read this. So she kind of knew from the beginning that they were serious and that he was innocent. I kind of needed to establish that. And I'm not, you know, with a guy who's a murderer or attempted murderer. So, So, you know, the next question I'm going to ask is you were in various different prisons at the time or were you stuck in one place the whole 12 years? No, after Rikers, my first prison I I was in was um, Sing Sing. Then after that, Attica and Kaksaki, and then I came home from um, Mappanac, Eastern Correctional Facility. Did any of these places have conjugal visits? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How often were you allowed to have? At that time, it was 90, every 90 days. Not often enough. Not often enough. <laughs> every 90 days. Every yeah. like four times a year. Yeah. Is that it? Ugh. Yeah, it's yeah. every three months. And as wonderful as those things are, and everybody, oh, you're so lucky, you, you know, as wonderful as it is, it's awful. Yeah, can you explain that? Like, what does that even look like? Yeah, to I mean, so it. you go to the prison. You obviously had months of anticipation for you, even more so because you're <laughs> sitting there looking at four walls. <laughs> at least you're out for doing sure. your job and you have things to distract you. But you got to be so much pent up, you know. And then you see each other, and I mean, it sounds like a really strange date, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Even though, but I mean, we just fell before, right into before it. we even got a conjugal. We knew each other for a year, so I. We got to know each other. Like one, that's one thing about prison. That that's all you have time for is to sit down and talk and make eye contact and do There's stuff. times since Angel's been home that I've said to him in rough moments of adjusting, especially when he first came home, that I miss our visits. As crazy as that might sound, but I missed the six hours of just sitting and talking. Even with the trailers, as it's horrible that they treat the families horribly they treat you like you're a criminal you take this horrible van and you go through all these gates and wires and it's not a pretty environment i I mean it's not meant to be a pretty environment and you get into this trailer where the door shuts in new york they call conjugal visits trailers Um, it's like a bungalow it's like a little cottage they're nice inside the door shuts and you're secluded for 44 hours and then all of a sudden the horn beeps and it's over And you're ripped away from the person that you love and you're thrown back on this horrible, dilapidated van and dropped off in front of the gate. And you have no contact like that again with your husband. So that's what I mean when I say as wonderful as it is, it's so emotionally draining. Going to the conjugal visit on the van, it's all the wives and moms and sons and family on the van going to the area in this wall where the trailers are and everybody's lively and happy and having a good time and talking about what they're going to cook or what movies they're going to watch and or we should all barbecue together and going back no one says one word Hmm. everybody's just crying it's impossible obviously for anyone who hasn't been through it to imagine it but for me even when i visit people in prison i feel terrible when i leave because they can't leave so I can get just a, a fraction of a sense, you know, sensation of what that must have been like for you. Listen, I mean, I'm sure, 
you know, all things being equal, much better than not having them, obviously. But still, yeah, it's a very stark thing. Like, I imagine counting down the minutes till the end when you know that that 44th hour is coming up and, and then you're back uh, another three months. But it's a, it's a testament to both of you that you managed to stay together through that because that's not an easy way to maintain a relationship under any circumstances. Oh, yeah. But here you are. Now you got two great yeah. kids, right? So, yeah. um, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And you're off parole, so I'm off supervision. supervision. You have a chance to fight back and to finally prove your innocence and clear your name and get some justice, get that sorry that you deserve, <laughs> as well as everything else that's coming to you after this horrible miscarriage of, of justice. And, and I want to say a miscarriage of justice was perpetrated on the people of New York State as well. When you have Dario Rodriguez out there walking the streets and other citizens being put in danger as a direct result of the police just deciding they don't care. I mean, they just didn't care. They didn't care. That's it. They didn't care about you. They didn't care about him. They didn't, they didn't care about people in the neighborhood either. And they didn't so, care about the victim either. I mean, how much did they really care about him if they weren't willing to find out the true story? Yeah. Not at all. Just another day at the office. So now you went from having... In the first instance, as bad of a lawyer as you could possibly have, a guy who literally shows up and says, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're guilty, right? I mean, you're just, you sit there and go, wait a minute, that's not even possible except in a movie. And now you literally, you, now you literally have the dream team. I have the dream team, literally, yes. You got, you got Barry Sheck and Seema Safi. So, so you went from having as bad a representation as almost anybody's ever had in the beginning to now having the literal dream team, Barry Check and Seema Safi, who are obviously Barry, the co-founder of the Innocence Project, and Seema is a senior staff attorney at the Innocence Project. So that's got to feel pretty good to know you've got does, the cavalry on your side now. It does. Throughout this whole bad ordeal, you know, there's been many good things that have happened as well. Not everything's bad. I met my wife. You know, I got two beautiful kids out of that. My mother. And my relationship became closer. She was there, always there for me, sticking it out through thick and thin. I had some pretty good lo- appeal lawyers. Unfortunately, I didn't have a good defense lawyer. But, you know, Claudia True, who was wonderful in trying to uh, get me justice, she did a wonderful job. She's an angel to me. Barry uh, Pollock, who, and, if it wasn't for him, Barry the Innocence Project. Who just, out of the clear blue sky, just took the case. I mean, for no apparent reason, he believed and um, and then from Barry Potter, we 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 come to the to to the present with um, Barry and um, Seema. So as far as representation after the fact, I've been very blessed. Um, but unfortunately, nothing has um, come of it yet. But I'm sure there's many great things. And what else do you want people to know? I mean, well, there's the website. Angel Cordero is innocent.com. There's the movie that yes, people coming can home. watch, which won a bunch of awards, right? And they went. And then it went on about. Three or four awards in Ireland. The movie's called Coming Home. Coming Home. What the film is about is not so much about Angel's case. It talks about his case. Dario's featured in the film. But what it really talks about is what it does to the family. And that's, I think, what a lot of people forget. It tears families apart. It ruins relationships. Uh, my daughter and my relationship, I mean, we're not even on speaking terms. It's been about a year now. And um, the whole time he, when I came home, I... I tried and tried and tried. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very poignant look at how that does affect, you know, the other victims 
in this situation are the family members of, of the people. There's so many victims. Yeah, you know, it's, not, it's not just one person I'm doing the time. It's sometimes a whole family. Sure, especially if it's your it's your son or daughter. I mean, it's hard enough on your parents, brothers, sisters, but for son or daughter, I'm sure they don't know what to think. And it's just a tragedy all the way around. But, you know, the good news is you're here. Michelle's here. Michelle's here. You got a lot of good people that care about you, that are fighting for you. I do. I've been lucky that way. Yeah. And I do believe that justice, you know, it's been terribly delayed, but it's not going to be denied. Not with that team. Mm. Um, and Man. hopefully people will learn from listening to you and learning about your case, about how these things happen. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to prevent future, future wrongful convictions. And now, in keeping with our tradition here at Wrongful Conviction... I think this is probably people's favorite part of the show. This is where I step back. I like to let our guests have the last word and just share anything else that's on your mind, anything you want the audience to hear. And Michelle, let's start with you. The victim of this stabbing was a victim, but Angel's also a victim. His family's a victim. His daughter's a victim. There's a lot more victims than just the guy sitting in the defendant chair with a wrongful conviction. Angel, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts? Anything else you have to share with the audience? I'm, I'm, um, I'm surprised that I'm not exonerated yet. By this time, I thought I wouldn't have to deal with this issue anymore. I've always been hopeful that one person will find it in his heart to, to tell the truth, and that will be the victim himself, Jason Mercado. Because I know in his heart, I know for a hundred percent fact that he knows it wasn't me. That would be a dream for him to come forward and finally um, give me my overlong over due justice. My last question, what do you want your young children to know? If they're ever listening to this years from now, maybe someday they get a chance to hear it, what would you say to them about this whole situation? That they made life after that worthwhile living. That's it. It was all worth it, and I would do it all over again. If I knew that I was going to get the same result with the same two kids waiting for me in the end of the tunnel. Wow. Well, um, I got nothing to say after that except for um, I just want to thank both of you for coming here and being so brave and sharing this uh, incredible saga. It's not over yet, and uh, I hope we get a chance to celebrate together. Mm, And so to everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And I want to thank you, Michelle Cordero and Angel Cordero. Thank you for coming in and and sharing your story. Thank you for allowing us to share our story. Thank you. Big to us. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.